Welcome to the Haunted Hacker podcast. This is a new revision uh, returned with Max Justice last, last week. And this week we have Corey. He's a good friend of mine. I'll let Corey introduce himself. Go ahead, Corey. Hey, thanks, Mike. Uh, I'm Corey. I've been in the cybersecurity world for a little while. Started off on the red side, got tossed into incident response, and have been on the blue side ever since. Uh, yeah, I've built uh, security teams and done stuff. So how about that? Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, we've worked on a, on a lot of projects together, too. Um, Luke, another good friend of mine, introduced the two of us together, and, and we've been working on a lot of cool stuff. It seems like every time you start a new project, I, t I tend to rabbit hole right behind you, like with the 3D yeah. printing. <laughs> yeah. The cool stuff. So tell, tell, tell the listeners about your farm and, and kind of what you have going on in some of your projects, because I find that stuff like super interesting. Oh, God. Uh, so, um, well, mm, there's a lot. Where to begin? Um, so, <clears throat> the uh, I'm a huge proponent of automation. I'll start there. So, just in day-to-day -day life, everything that I do in cybersecurity revolves around automation in some way, shape, or form because it makes you more efficient. And because of that, it's really led me down quite a few rabbit holes. So, I, I grew hydroponically for many years, uh, you know, many different varieties, aeroponics, hydroponics, ebb and flows. So like you could kind of insert any hydroponic style of growing system and I've pretty much done it or built it or whatever. So I'm a tinkerer, I guess you'd call me. And so where I'm at in my life cycle right now is I've learned a lot. I've done a lot of really, you know, to me, interesting things like really honing in on how a plant grows and uh, making it as efficient and effective as possible. What I'm more about today, though, because I feel like I've gotten to a pretty good point with 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 how I like to grow plants. I, I have my system set up so that it's it's just like clockwork almost. And a lot of the things that I've done so far has been analog automation. So it's like a, a timer uh, that I, that's plugged into the wall that you plug your uh, outlet into for your lights and your pumps and your all of these things. And while that's really great and it works fairly well, I want to hone in and get even deeper into that. So uh, I've been exploring um, moisture sen sensors that you put into you know, your growing medium, how much water uh, or moisture is on your growing medium. Uh, so then I, that led me down to how do I control environmental variables? And then the most recent thing is I want to tie all of that together because I'm building a greenhouse. Um, and so basically, I want to automate my greenhouse from end to end. I want it to water. I want it to run off of solar panels and battery backup systems. I want Arduino controllers everywhere running on wireless, pointing to a dashboard that I can see what's the pH of my reservoirs, what's this, what's that. So, so that, that's kind of the life cycle of that. So, How about that? So will you be giving guests access to that, to that <laughs> software? Depends on the person. Actually, it'll probably just be anonymous. It'll be uh, allow any anonymous access. It's fine. It's yeah, fine. Perfect. It'll be fine. Yeah. The whole yeah, greenhouse no on the internet. Yeah. 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 That'd be awesome. <laughs> You know, I, I, I have thought about, in all honesty, though, putting like a read-only version of the website up so that, you know, people that are interested could go out and look at it. Not, like, I'm not a developer. I'm not good at, like, visualization, but 
it could be fun. Could could spark some imaginative thoughts, and other people could take it and run with it. Maybe. Yeah, I've seen a lot of cool stuff on the internet as far as people like accidentally putting IoT devices on the internet. You know, I've seen fish tanks, I've seen irrigation systems, yeah. just an insane amount of IoT that people pop up with no cybersecurity or really no te technology background. And it's sitting on the internet. I, there was one house that we were messing with that um, years ago that we were able to set the zones of this huge mansion and like set off the, the water with the lights inside the house and start making them, you know, go back and forth. It was pretty funny. But it's amazing how many people will put that stuff out there and not even care about it, not even know that it's there and get smashed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and so that's why this is kind of like scary territory, especially me working in cybersecurity, because I mean, I'm doing this for I enjoy it. Uh, and I really like we're my wife and I, we we grow huge gardens. She's super into animals and stuff like we have alpacas and she's diving in this sheep baby doll sheep now and you know like all of this crazy stuff I, I guess not crazy but you know abnormal things i'll call it and so i'll be able to change and alter how much or, or what my ph is and if anybody were able to you know successfully find a way into this they could literally destroy my whole greenhouse they could take the temperature up they could drop the temperature down. They could add too much nutrients. They could stop adding nutrients. They could make my pH fluctuate and everything that's connected to that system dies. So, and I think the other interesting thought about that is, okay, so, you know, I'm this home grower who's doing this as a, as a thing. I actually think that in the future, we're probably going to see more things like this, these automated systems around our food supply systems because we have to find new and alternative ways of, you know, growing our foods. There's not, we're going to run out of land and resources at some point. So the more we start to see these things crop up, the, the bigger the target they'll become. And you could potentially ruin an entire country by taking these out in, you know, in the long-term future. So. Yeah. We we're talking about that um, with Max Justice on the last episode about you know, I brought up the point of, you know, we talk about greenhouses and, you know, fish tanks and small things on IoT hitting the internet. But what about food processing plants? What if that got hit? Like that would create a nightmare scenario. But not only that, but, you know, you talk about we're going to run out of land. But what about the fact that, you know, where you live was was affected by that train derailment with all the toxic chemicals? You know, mm -hmm. look at all the, the chemical and the toxic fires we've had just over the last month and look at what that does to the soil. Yep. No, a hundred percent. That's why I'm not growing in soil. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so, but, but, you know, it, whenever you look at it, that you're really causing an interesting thought here because whenever you start to look at things like that, uh, you have limitations in any way. If I grow in soil, I'm limited to how good or bad that soil is. If I say want to go a different medium, uh, I'm a big fan and proponent of, of cocoa core. Yeah. It's as close to soil as you can get, but it's, it is literally, you know, uh, 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 sterile. So whenever you look at that, there's impacts to the environment from that. It has to get here. You have to dry out the coconut husks with all these crazy salts. And now you have to wash your cocoa core once you get it and remove it of those salts. Where do those salts go? Like 
it's this endless cycle of, okay, well, hydroponics are great. Perlite is another great alternative medium, but it's basically volcanic ash. Well, that means you have to take it from a volcano, right? Like, and get that here. And I'm nowhere near a volcano, at least that I know of. So uh, there's, whenever you start to talk about environmental impacts, there's always going to be these environmental impacts. And then furthermore, um, you talk about wanting to, okay, so I want to go sterile. I'm impacted by this train situation. My soil uh, is definitely not in a great place, right? Because of that, which means, okay, what do I do? How do I get nutrients to my plants now? Well, I either have to A, produce them or B, buy them and become a consumer of that. So what happens if my supply chain is disrupted for my nutrients? What happens if those nutrients are bad and I'm introducing terribleness or something's wrong with them or they get popped upstream and they don't know it until it's too late and they've shipped out of all of their products and their products are too concentrated, not concentrated enough. There's, there's so much reliance on everybody around you. And it's crazy whenever you start to think about that, how much I rely on everybody else in, in these completely different supply chains that, that you're not even aware of until you enter into them. 100%. And when you look at everything that's gone on, like geopolitically, you know, it not only goes back to those little incidents, but it all boils down back down to geopolitics and how it affects every industry and what we have to do to divert the issues from supply chain and whatnot. And I remember... I guess it was about a year ago, maybe uh, China was sending packets of seeds to people unsolicited and they were not native species. And everybody back then was like, wait a minute, why are we getting these random seeds? And then we start seeing balloons flo you know, floating over the U.S. And, and, and crazy shit like that. And it's like there's an ongoing campaign to bring the, the empire down. Right. And so what a great way to do it by infecting our agriculture you know, going yeah. through these invasive seeds that they were sending and, you know, people are mindless. They'll, they'll grab those free seeds and plant them away. Hey, I got some cool seeds from China. Yeah. You know, next thing you know, our agriculture screwed. Yeah. So there's like an ongoing war with that too. Yep. Yeah. And so that's what was eye opening to me was diversity. So I'm a huge proponent of diversity in, in as many aspects as possible. Right. So my garden is no different. I don't have one tomato that I grow. I probably have 20 that I grow. You know, I like purple tomatoes. I like cherry or chocolate cherry tomatoes. I like uh, uh my daughter's favorite is um, uh, jelly bean. They're called okay. jelly bean. They're these little yellow, super sweet. Uh, and then you, you want your beef steaks. You want something for sauces. You, you know, so you got to have all of these diversities. And if you think about just the banana industry, there's like two varieties of bananas that that we all consume. I, it might even be one, but it is a very small amount. But if you actually go out and look at bananas, there's a massive variety out there. There's pink bananas. Pink bananas exist. They're pink. Um, so I say that because we sometimes focus in on making this perfect tomato, this perfect banana plant, this perfect corn crop. But the problem with that is you have this one crop that's dominating your entire agricultural area. You receive a, a an, in, an infected seed or, or something that could be diseased, and you've just wiped out that whole entire population of that, that individual crop that might dominate 
a huge percentage of that market. And so that that's really disruptive. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. We saw that with the uh, Asian carp, too, when they introduced that into the rivers, like it totally destroyed. But it created some really cool fucking videos of people getting smacked in the head with carp. <laughs> it, uh, <laughs> it did. It did 100%. So it makes it worth it. it. Makes it worth it. You brought up corn, which was really funny because I was listening to Joe Rogan's podcast the other day and, and he was talking about corn. And it really got me to thinking what, you know, of all the uses for corn, mm -hmm. a lot of it's so negative, right? So you have fructose syrup, mm -hmm. um, corn, it, the body does not digest corn very well at all. Your body looks at it and goes like, what the fuck is this? And, and kicks it right back out. So yeah. really what benefit does corn have to the human body, you know? I so, think, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, go ahead, Corey. Uh, to me, corn is an upstream thing, mm. right? Like so I think, yeah, animal feed. It's mm. like, I mean, that's what you would be hitting hardest by taking out corn, in my opinion, right? Like, right. this is an opinion. I, I am not, this is not a factual piece here. But uh, from what I've seen, mm. uh, whenever you take out corn, the largest portion of the industry is like corn feed for cows corn feed for chicken, right? If you look at chicken feed, it's scratch. If you look at scratch grains, the high content in there is corn. Uh, you look at those two major industries. So you have meat chickens, you have egg laying chickens, you have cows, you have, I'm sure that, you know, pigs probably have some additive of corn in there. That, so if you start to look in it, it just and focus on one aspect real quick, which would be our meat industry, our poultry industries, our egg laying industries, disrupting corn could easily disrupt those feed channels, which means now you would have to find almost an emergency supply of food. You know, once the corn would run out, let's say, if corn were disrupted, what do we transition to? Because humans, what are we giving up? We're giving up corn syrup, which, okay, that's uh, it's used a lot. I'm not, I'm not discounting right. how much it's used, but you could easily switch because we have alternative sugars like table sugar. Coconut. Uh, we got coconut sugar. There's so many alternatives out there that, okay, may, maybe we wouldn't be able to whole, make it whole of what the market is today of corn syrup, but it could easily be gone, right? Like, like we could, we could find an increase in other areas from corn, like raw corn there's, yeah, we would lose out on cornbread raw corn, eating grilled corn, you know, like all these great things, but, but that could almost be like a delicacy. So to me, I think the the heaviest hit impact is probably going to be things like, like that, or, or your distilling industries actually, because yeah, they're true. very heavily based in corn or grain. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah it, it, you know, that, that topic kind of gets brought up because, you know, during this past, you know, year or so with, Russia going to war with Ukraine and the wheat and, you know, the issue with that. And then all of a sudden there was issues, issues with poultry, chicken houses burning up. And then just recently there was an explosion with, I guess it was a dairy house where like 1800 eight, eight, cows died. Eight, eight. Like, what the I hell is going on with our food? <laughs> right. Right. It, it, that's, that's so crazy because I mean, if it's a dairy farm, we're going to lose out on all of those cows milk. And that's an upstream issue too, right there. You drink milk. You make cheeses out of milk. You get yogurt from milk. There's all of these dis like that's the beginning of a, a tree essentially that's just about to get disrupted. So that's it's really crazy to think about whenever you start looking at those individualized chains and how easily they could be disrupted. Right, and from a cyber point of view too. I mean, it's like 
when you look at these things, I had a friend of mine ask me yesterday, he said, do you think that maybe either Russia or China has people inside the U.S. that, that are doing these things, that are helping spur these, these explosions or incidents that affect our, our food supply or whatnot? And I said, you know, it's not out of the question. They haven't, they don't have any proof of it. There's no, I haven't heard any talk about it, but if I was trying to Russia, I would absolutely look at that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So that that's, that's kind of one of those limiting questions right now. A lot of people are starting to ask it, right? Because is it in, is it an inside job? Are there people in the country doing these things? Is it coordinated between inside and outside? <laughs> you know, uh, whenever you start to look at things like, especially PLCs, they're typically very, very, very dated systems. Uh, so if you think about a farm, a farm is going to have all of these, you know, like automation controls that just are literally doing this one thing. It's opening a valve. It's closing a valve. It's opening a valve. And it's worked for 35, 45 plus years. It's It's been there. They paid a lot of money for it. It's there all of a sudden that can now be connected to the internet so that, you know, somebody can look at their phone and say, Oh, you know what? I, I got this many gallons of milk this month, or, you know, and you can hone in on efficiencies and do all the great things that we do with it products. But then all of a sudden you just, you forgot that you just opened up all of your PLCs to the internet. And now all of a sudden this 45 year old equipment that was out on the internet is now <clears throat> using 40 year old, 30-year-old, 20-year-old exploits to just take it over. And what can you do with that? Could you blow up a, a, a farm? Could you stop milk production for a day? You know, what's the impact of that? And that's really what I yep. think. And we don't have visibility into it, right? Like we're all sitting here, like you just said, what happened? Uh, uh, what happened? I'm intrigued. I want to know, you know, so yeah. we don't even have visibility into what what actually caused that either. And I, I don't think we'll ever get that visibility, especially if there's somebody else that's involved. And here's why, you know, I, I was talking to um, someone that was a former agent the other day, and we were talking about China and, and the information that we're hearing coming out of China regarding the U.S. and what we're doing. However, we, you know, we don't hear a lot of that from this side, from this side of the pond. And there's a reason for that. And I, I want people to understand that when I talk about intelligence, I talk about stuff that affects national security. And there's a game that's played, right? So we expose national secrets from foreign countries constantly. That's the name of the game. But they also do it to us. And the reason why that we don't expose some of the things that, that we do find in the intelligence community is because of national security. And it affects that intelligence game back and forth. So that's why you don't hear both sides of the story. You have to go looking elsewhere. Um, but yeah, th those things, I, I don't know if we'll ever get a real read on what's going on right now. Cause there's so many things that are playing into the picture. It's like chaos, right? You got the balloons, you got fires, you, you have the train derailments, you have, you know, Hunter Biden's laptop, laptop for Christ's sake, like who gives a shit about his laptop other than DC, uh, just all this chaos going on. And it's like in the background, then we have, you know, the precipice of world war three happening. And everybody's, you know, told, you know, go back to work, you know, continue doing what you're doing. Don't worry about, you know, the country we're, we're defending it. But I know on a cyber on a cyber level, that hasn't always been true. And I think this week with the leaked documentation, I, I believe it was to discord. If, I, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, yeah. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> government contractor leaked national security information 
to a Discord channel to teenagers. And I just did a docu-series on gaming and the risk to kids. And this opens up a new Pandora's box because now you have all these kids that are basically accomplices of this individual who brought that shit into Discord. Yeah. So expect a, a you know some some neat and uh, unique consequences from that. But that whole picture that's going on, it's like as cybersecurity professionals, we are pulled so many different directions. And you and I have both seen that with the IRs and the type of IRs and just the type of traffic. How do you think that's going to unfold as the war progresses? So I think that going back, that's a really smooth transition, by the way, because you start talking about ICS, PLCs, IoT in general, anything OT, uh, operational technology, anything in that whole categorization. I think we're, I mean, Let's be honest here. We, as cybersecurity people, we're looking at OT. You know, you go out to Shodan, and what's the first thing you learn on Shodan? Oh, wow, there's all of these cameras that are out there that I can just log into. And not that anybody would ever do that or go and view that or whatever. But but my point is, is it, it all comes back to critical infrastructure at the end of the day. What if a government agency had cameras that were out on Shodan or Census or insert another, you know, I, I you know, insert another uh, tool set that isn't uh, based in the U.S. Um, like Zoomai, just saying. Uh, so you look at that, and all of a sudden, I have security footage that I could use to track people's uh, whereabouts. Uh, do they have any like normal things that they do every day? What is, you know, what does their day look like? And I know that sounds a little bit crazy and, and probably even borderline paranoid, but, but the truth of the matter is, is if you've ever been on a red team where you've ever listened to red team members talk, I, I remember back in the day, I, I was listening to this talk and they were like, yeah, I just took a GPS and slid it onto their car. And then I just literally figured out that they go to this Starbucks every single day. And then I just went to the Starbucks and added it into. And you start thinking about that and you're like, wow, OK. But you have a phone in your pocket. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think the way that this is going to evolve is in two areas. One, critical infrastructure, you know, power, um, water, uh, supply chain, uh, food, all of that. That's going to be a major focal point of this from a attack and defense per perspective. But I think there's also going to start to be some slides into uh, our devices, our, our cell phones. I think uh, that those are probably going to be the two biggest places, because if I compromise a cell phone, Mike, what can you do with a, what can you do with a cell phone? Some crazy shit. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Take I can turn your on life. your microphone. I could turn on your microphone. I could start recording with your camera. Like I could, text, I could text your girlfriend, your wife, your mother, your sister. Yeah, I could text anybody and it's coming from you, right? And and if what if you're in a government agency and I compromise your phone? I could turn on your mic. When do you walk into a meeting that you don't have your phone on you? How often does that happen? I mean, our government works a little bit differently, to be sometimes. Sometimes. Some sometimes. But but at the end of the day, even if I were going after a corporation that mm -hmm. focuses on something that is um, critical infrastructure, right? Maybe it's a privatized critical infrastructure of water or sewage management or, you know, now all of a sudden those people aren't going to have the same level of security as every other organization or a government agency that requires it or, you know, there's so many different aspects to that. So that, that's what I would 
kind of, if I were to make a prediction, critical mm -hmm. infrastructure and phones. Cool. Yeah, I, I have to agree with that. Phones, I mean, look at the the power that's in the, the iPhone, you know, just some of the platforms that we have, the, the computing power is just unreal. Um, so the the next uh the next thing I kind of wanna wanna cover is you know the use of, of these channels for disseminating intelligence like the leaks and also the restrict act right I, I don't know if you if if you've seen the news about the restrict act and and you know what it entails regarding vpn and and really the the verbiage behind it to me it looked like the restrict act was more focused on connection to tiktok than it was anything else but I, I assume that the VPN industry is kind of scratching their heads and, and kind of gearing up for what may look to be some sort of fight because they're, they're targeting that type of technology. Yep. Well, I, I think we need to take a step back. And by the way, what I'm about to say, I don't want to come across as a proponent of TikTok. I, I wouldn't call myself a proponent of TikTok. Right. But if we're going to start looking, I, I think instead of focusing in on a individual issue. What we're doing right now is we're kind of micro, we're, we're putting TikTok under a microscope. Right. I think that that's really positive. But my, my honest opinion is, is we're doing it wrong. Mm -hmm. We need to look at how all social media yes. deals with your information because, okay, this one's owned or ran and whole entity out of China or Singapore or you know, it doesn't matter where in the world they are. Let's be honest. Is TikTok really doing anything different than what Meta is doing? At the end yep. of the day, are they doing anything different? Well, I'll say it this way. I don't know. The proof might be in the pudding, though. They're making more advertising money. And this is why <laughs> everyone wants to shut them down is because all those other platforms, Meta, all those other platforms are sucking right now when it comes to advertising yeah. money. Because TikTok's bankrolling all the advertising money. That's where the real the real fear comes into play. It's not so much the information of individuals being spread to China, because the U.S. obviously doesn't give a shit about our information being spread because they allow big tech to do it. Correct. However, they, do, they are concerned about the money leaving their pockets and going to China for advertising. So we have a lot of lobbying happening from our in-country social media platforms that are trying to force policy against an individual, you know, for literally capitalistic reasons. There's there's no other reason for that, right? And so that's why I say we're doing it wrong. We're not doing what's best for the people right now. What's best for the people is to give me the option, put me in power of my information and allow me to choose what a social media platform can or cannot see. And I actually would even push that as far back is to phone security. Right. That should be in my phone's security built into the OS to give me the option of what is about allowed to be shared. And you, some people will say, yeah, that does exist, but not really to no. the degree that is necessary, right? Because it's, it's kind of like an all sweeping type thing. Are, are you allowed to have access to my camera? Are you allowed to have access to my microphone or only whenever the app's open? And then you see this, this research that some really smart people in our, in our industry do, and you find out, oh, crap, look at this giant tree of stuff that this application can actually touch, see, and feel. And so right. that's where we really need to have a better understanding isn't what is TikTok doing, but what is all social media doing with our information? 
Because if we want to talk about security and truly walk towards secure, that's the best way to do it and not focus in on, you know, the one that's being lobbied against. 100%. I mean, if you look at Facebook, Facebook has absolutely been guilty of everything that they're accusing TikTok of, 100%. But the only reason why they're not putting that pressure, that same pressure on Facebook is because they have hooks in the Facebook where they can monitor that data. And they're not too concerned about where it goes because they know they have a, a tap into it and they can access it anytime they want. However, with TikTok, you don't get that 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 luxury because it's going to China and we don't have the right to to, to that data. Even though it's our data, it's going back to their servers. Yeah. Yep. It's just a weird scenario all the way around. I think that, you know, and when we come up with the Restrict Act, you know, we're, we're creating a law or an act based on one company. Yes. And to me, that's epic failure because we're microing down onto that one company, but yet the rest of the industry is running like Wild West. You know, so we're going to put all of our effort into this one person, make them go away. And then, but we still have this huge conglomerate of big tech who constantly can, you know, screw our data day in and day out. And we have no control over it. And the government's like, oh, but that's okay because they're Google and Facebook. It's okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Your data is safe with them. Uh, But, but even to your, your, your point about the VPN stuff, I mean, that to me is probably one of the biggest areas as a cybersecurity person that I see some of the largest conflict, even with myself inside like inside of me i have some of the largest conflicts because on one hand i'm a huge proponent of like being able to be as anonymous and being able to be as you know hidden as possible from the perspective of an everyday person right. now, i'm not talking about criminals here i i like being able to anonymize my data so that i'm not getting targeted ads like let me give you an example i go out to look at a gaming rig uh, like a gaming computer, all of a sudden my wife gets an email. I get three emails to like two of my email address, you know, two of my different email addresses that are throwaways. Why? I, I That's a little absurd, isn't it? Right. So I want to be able to hop onto a VPN and know that, you know, my data is more in, in my hands than in my ISP's hands or my, you know, whatever. It insert somebody else that's not me that I don't trust. Exactly. How about that? But then on the flip side of that, you have every time we make it harder for us to be traced, we make it harder for criminals to be traced. Right. So there's always that that like every time we make it better for ourselves, we make it worse for ourselves. True. True. But, you know, when it comes down to the way I look at it, I, I totally see what you're saying. The way I look at it is I'm not so much worried about the criminal aspect of it and the criminals get my data. I'm more concerned about the government get my data. Yeah, I want to I want to stay hidden from them because the way it looks right now, and I'll, I'll just I'll wrap it up with this: the way it looks right now with the government, it's a shit show, and they can't agree with each other, and they're constantly trying to cut each other's throats. It's like a it's like a policeman walking into a domestic dispute. Like I'm not going to get involved in their shit because they're just going to turn on me. So I'll keep my distance and let them beat each other up. But yeah, I don't want them to have my data because they can't even hold on to, to secret documents regarding the war and special forces. Like that's scary to me, but I'm supposed to trust them with my data. I'll just leave it at that. But Corey, it was, it was great to finally have you on the show. And uh, we definitely have to do this again for sure. Yeah, for sure. It was fun. I appreciate ha- uh, you having me on. Thank you very much. Well, I'll let you get back to your busy day and uh, we'll talk soon. For sure. I'll catch you later. Bye, guys. Cheers.